0: It is 6.08, 69 degrees in the Twin Cities this this afternoon or this evening, I should say. Actually, a gorgeous night out there. Uh, If you're just joining us, Susie Jones had at the top of her newscast uh, really a a, a stunning story. The Walker Sculpture Garden, which obviously is one of Minnesota's great treasures, has been undergoing renovation, and they were adding some of the new sculptures to the classics. And they had one work of art, uh, a sculpture, that – appeared to be almost just a replica of the gallows that was used in in the infamous 19th century uh, hanging of of several dozen uh, Native Americans who, by all accounts, were falsely accused in a rape. And certainly, understandably, there were protests against it. And I guess the walker making a decision – Uh, Late today, that they're actually going to be removing that sculpture. There's still apparently a pretty large protest out there, but we'll keep you updated on that story. Uh, A lot going on here uh, for this uh, edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Uh, Coming up this this half hour, I'm going to chat with uh, Dean Gutierrez. He's the Dean of International Studies uh, for the program at the Nebraska University, Omaha. And we're going to talk to him about ISIS and this claim of responsibility in this horrible, tragic incident uh, at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England, and we'll talk to him about the lone wolf attacks that have been so prevalent and so devastating. And yes, they've arrested a bunch of people, but it seems like so few, including just one person, can cause so much devastation, and we'll talk to him about that. Uh, Also this hour, we're going to visit with David Brennan, who's the professor of marketing at St. Thomas He is really one of the premier experts on retailing in our area. And I don't know if you caught the news, but uh, Target cut 40 of their jobs, 40 more jobs in marketing. And Target's numbers have not been good at all in terms of their retail sales, their same store sales. So we're going to talk to him about what is the the future of Target. I mean, let's face it, so many of us not only shop there, but there are an awful lot of people, I think almost anybody I know – know somebody who knows somebody who works at Target, and the company is definitely having troubles. They are renovating all of their stores. I know that in some of them, they're adding liquor stores. Is that really the way to go? Uh, I don't know, but we're going to visit with him uh, to talk about the future of Target. Uh, And then a lot going on our 7 o'clock hour, including... Uh, A segment on foraging, Uh, and if you don't know what that is, it is basically being able to go out into the woods and get uh, all kinds of delicacies. And this time of year, there actually is a delicacy called morel mushrooms. And those, if you can find them, folks, uh, you could go to Lund's and Byerly's or a whole bunch of other places and sell them for a pretty penny. Um, They are, uh, I'm sure, $20 and up a pound. Uh, But we'll talk about... uh, Foraging, and also, where do you find those uh, very hard to find morels? And then, of course, in the eight o'clock hour, David Schultz. So let's take a quick break. You are listening to News Radio eight three zero WCCO. It is six fourteen in the Twin Cities. Obviously, one of the top stories this past week: the horrifying attack in Manchester at the Ariana Grande concert, compounded by the fact that this is obviously an artist who caters. To children and to teens and to young people. And there were many children and teens among the victims, not only those who were injured, but those who were tragically killed as well. Tom Gutierrez is the Dean of International Studies Program uh, at the University of Nebraska University in Omaha. And I've talked with him before. He really is one of the nation's foremost experts in this area. And uh, Tom, I appreciate your time this evening. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about this horrific attack?
2: Well, I think it it helps to underscore, Esme, and it's nice to be back with you again, too, uh, that um, ISIS itself and its brand of terrorism uh, is not only uh, a danger to us in terms of its location within a caliphate in Syria and Iraq. So they were very excited about being able to establish a physical uh, caliphate, as they called it, But what we see really now with the decline of their ability to hold that caliphate, Raqqa and Mosul and other parts that we are reading about in the news, is the emergence of this what I call kind of a virtual ISIS or virtual caliphate where the major dangers continue to be uh, this type of remote terrorism which can be visited upon various different countries by individuals who were born even in those countries who have subscribed to the narrative of the Al-Qaeda and Wahhabi-based violence as their primary weapon uh, in their uh, convoluted vision of what the world should be. And so this is what we saw Again, in England, we we continue to see these things, whether in England or France or other places around the world, um, in a regular basis when we see terrorism being carried on by groups, small networks, or even lone wolves. And it's a product of people who subscribe to the narrative, which is the heart of this virtual uh, terrorist organization, call it ISIS or whatever.
0: And, and you know, in terms of, um, you know, I guess that there have been examples um, where, where people have, you know, actually been a part of ISIS and perhaps left or whatever, but it, it just seems that others are inspired just online.
2: Well, and that's, that's really the, the case. And that's the big danger. It's this, appeal to individuals who are living in dysfunctional communities and families uh, who feel they are not having any opportunities, some of them whom are like uh, President Trump has branded them losers, criminals, uh, who uh, have subscribed to this narrative which preaches a kind of victimization of uh, of Muslims, which is not accurate, but of course it carries its message. And so when people subscribe to this and uh, tend to then carry out either suicide or other types of attacks like trucks or other types of improvised, uh, you know, explosive devices. You
0: know, it, it, the um, there are now some reports that that contain pictures of, of the actual bomber moments before um, he committed this atrocity. Obviously, he was killed. And, you know, you look at him and you see this very slender-looking, very young man that I don't think people would think twice about, especially... Yeah, he, a, looked,
2: he looked like somebody who had his whole life in front of him. But of course, as we now know, he only had a, a few moments uh, left in that life. And... Here's an individual who, for some reason or another, as me, did not feel that he had a future, whatever, in his community, and subscribed to this extremist, violent um, answer. And uh, so, what does that suggest? It suggests that communities not only need to try and find those who may be. Uh, a danger to us in the future, but also to find ways to incorporate individuals in, in communities in, into feeling that they are a part of things. This is more severe in Europe in some ways than it is in the United States because various communities, whether they're from Libya or from, um, you know, Syria or Iraq or, or some other places in the uh, is, Islamic world, uh, who have uh, taken over and set up, uh, uh, you know, life uh, in, in other countries and have not been really incorporated into the mainstream of their country, their new country. And so they feel like they are more Libyan than, than, uh, than, than British or more, you know, Tunisian than British or whatever it is, or French or however they, wherever they're living. And this is a very serious problem which the European nations are going to have to address more effectively. How do you bring these people who are their citizens and have been born, many of them, in their countries into feeling like they have a future and they are a part of England and France and Sweden and Denmark, etc.?
0: Well, and I think think the point that you make, too, about... Them not feeling part of this world. I mean, one of the things, and I've covered a lot of the cases here, uh, including the big trial that we had uh, that ended. Uh, well, I guess almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. With um, and it was a total of I think ten people who were charged, and they were all very young, uh, younger than this man here. And one of the commonalities I found with them and they were all from the tw- they're all from the Twin Cities is that. They were all – most of them were born here, so they were you know, born U.S. citizens, not all of them. But in nearly all of the cases, they were more – so much more Americanized than their parents. I mean they, they they spoke English. They didn't speak Somali very well. Their parents mm-hmm. spoke Somali, didn't speak English very well. And so you have that, that gulf that's going to exist anyway when you're a teenager – uh, you know, let's face it. It's it's not an easy time. So you've got that gulf and then you've got this other layer compounded. And, and so in schools, they found um, that they, they were not sort of not part of either world. And, and they also ran up against and they aren't they aren't African-American, yet they are of color. It, it, it just that they didn't seem to have like a, a place to fit in.
2: Well, I followed this, uh, you know, this case or uh, these cases in the Twin Cities very closely, of course, because I think in many ways it, it provided tremendous insight into just the points that you are making. And again, um, I'm sure that there are people within the Twin Cities now who are trying to, to find ways to ensure that in the future others will, uh, who have had a similar background and may feel a part of a dysfunctional family even if it's just that communication as you're describing more modern and less modern etc that that they're feeling more a part of this and again what happens as me is that the uh, these individuals go to the to the narrative as i call it the internet uh, of originally you know put forth by al qaeda and particularly by anwar al awlaki the American from New Mexico who went to Yemen, and this is the and he
0: he was the one who was killed in a drone attack in two thousand nine.
2: That's right, and 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 his
0: impact it is it is stunning. What impact this man has?
2: It's in terms of worldwide and global terrorism. It's his impact is even greater than was Osama bin Laden's in many ways it
0: continues it, to be that way and, and you know because his videos continue to, to to live on in the internet but every single one of those kids right, talked
2: about exactly. watching those videos that's right and it is from him and that is the narrative they the you know on the on the internet the, to which people go to find some way to find um a you know some kind of salve to their uh, hurt you know uh, personalities and and issues and so um, th- th- this is this is what to which they go and they hear about it and, and it's it's very uh, seductive uh, for people who feel they are not recognized or given a chance who are kept outside the mainstream and and so that seduct uh, seduction uh, seduction is Something that you know we need to counter, and and make people understand that they have a future, yeah. a brighter future. Yeah, you know, For sure.
0: you know, I think the thing that that you know, just in, in covering that trial and sort of reading about this case, what I felt was so interesting about that was that that a lot of these young men became hooked in the fall and winter of 2013 into the spring of 2014, and if you. Uh, look back i mean isis wasn't quite isis in the world's eyes there hadn't been the public beheadings and they there was sort of a feeling that this was a place to go where you could perhaps help save the syrian people from the the terror that bashir al-assad was was uh you know implementing yet they continued even after the beheadings and even after these horrific acts were obviously innocent people uh, were victimized and killed, and I mean it's it's very difficult for me to think of, of a young person jumping on board when you've seen these children being killed in, in Manchester. But obviously, a lot of the experts, such as yourself, fear this is going to continue.
2: Well, I, I think it it, it 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 could, and and if we don't if we're not more aggressive in, in addressing it, and I think the thing to add to that point, uh, and your point is very uh, uh, pertinent here. Is that this was at a time when um, people weren't, you know, didn't anticipate yet that uh, that the uh, events in Iraq and Syria would move the way they are with the founding of this caliphate. But remember again that a major target of these extremist groups is Shia Islam, and so these individuals were being. Attracted to go to Syria, not only to fight against Bashar Assad as an right. autocrat, but as a you know as, as a Shia Muslim, and, and Sunni extremists see Shia Islam as blasphemous, and right. they rank. They don't right feel they're there. Islamic. That's right. So you know it's it's a part of that whole you know uh, separation that religions have, like we had in the Middle Ages and later, and even until the. 20th and the current century between Protestantism and Catholicism and stuff of this nature, and in in Islam this has become very violent in the uh, in the last uh, you know 30 20 to 30 years within uh, uh, the various different communities uh, and they of course have separated out that way. The irony of this is that our president was in. Uh, Saudi Arabia castigating Iran, but we, you know, the Iranians. There are no Shias who are members of any uh, of these Islamist extremist groups like ISIS, Al Qaeda, etc. And so, that you know, we need to have a better handle and better understanding of what are the real threats, and uh, particularly against American interests, not only in the Middle East, but in the rest of the world.
0: do you think as ISIS continues and it appears inevitable it will continue to lose even more ground that that these kinds of attacks, like the one that we saw in Manchester, will only increase from disaffected uh, Sunnis who who will feel that they've got to make their statement?
2: Well, I think that's what we have to really focus on. In other words, as the Islamic state, as they call it, as ISIS starts to crumble more and more, in uh, northern Iraq and and in eastern Syria, where they have this established this so-called state, as it starts to crumble more and more, but with our attacks and our whole strategy, that the metastasization of ISIS will be into this virtual uh, caliphate that we will find, you know, in groups that are established, cells that are established all around the world, whether they be Somalia, Nigeria, Chad, um, you know, Europe, um, in Indonesia, and also in, in the Philippines, it's they're everywhere, and it makes it very difficult, right. but to to identify everybody, it doesn't take many, and so that means it's a it can, real. It can only
0: take first. one. Look at Omar Mateen.
2: That's right in in Orlando. Two. That's right. And it only took one person in Oklahoma City as well, you know, as we remember Timothy, Timothy McVeigh. In other words, any kind of disaffected person, whatever the cause, whatever the attachment uh, can provide, you know, that kind of fear and intimidation and destruction.
0: All right. Well, Tom Gutierre, always a pleasure to talk to you and your your knowledge in this area is is. So profound. We appreciate your spending some time with us this evening. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you, as me. Absolutely. And, and, you, too, and to your sir. listeners.
0: Absolutely. And you too, sir. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. You betcha.
0: Uh, that sure. is Tom Gutierre uh, with the um, International Studies Program in at Nebraska, Nebraska University, Omaha. Uh, certainly uh, this week, the reflection of the difficulties of trying to contain this kind of an attack and Certainly there remains a high level of concern that something like that could potentially happen right here in in our country Uh, and perhaps, you know, obviously right here in Minnesota as well. All right, folks, we are going to take a break. Uh, We're going to give you a little weather and then we're going to talk with uh, David Brennan about what is going on in the world of, of retail, big box stores, Target. It's a changing world and it seems to be changing very, very quickly. He is an absolute expert and he will join us uh, after the break after weather so keep it here you're listening to news radio 830 wcco
1: welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it it
0: is 6:33 in the twin cities 70 degrees a very pleasant evening out there Uh, Well, folks, you may have seen the news about additional layoffs at the corporate headquarters at Target this past week. Uh, About 40 workers, just a little over 40. Uh, It comes as a time when the quarterly reports that are coming out on Target are not good in terms of their overall sales and per-store sales. And it certainly comes at a time when the issue with sales in terms of retail sales at big-box stores, Macy's obviously closing stores, uh, JCPenney closing stores – not a good time for retail, and it seems like it is accelerating at a breathtaking pace. One of the people that is an absolute expert in this area here locally is David Brennan, professor of marketing at Saint Thomas. How are you? Good, thank you. Well, let me ask you uh, from where you sit, and this is what you do: you you study these retailers and the local marketplace. What is going on with Target, or or maybe I should ask, what's not going on with Target?
1: Well, I think it's broader than Target. If we take a look at total retail sales for all uh, retail entities before the Great Recession, uh, sales increased. Um,
0: And I'm sorry, Professor, we're having a little trouble here with your audio. Um, Can we just um, uh, maybe we're going to try and hang up and see if we can um, maybe get a different line um, because the phone is cutting in and out there. Chatting with Professor David Brennan, uh, a marketing professor from St. Thomas, uh, obviously the situation with Target, uh, with, when you go to a mall these days, uh, my goodness, they look like they are shells of themselves. Every single floor has, you know, empty stores. It just doesn't seem as if, you know, people – it seems as if people's shopping habits have changed. And I got to tell you, I do think that, in my opinion, it's the Amazon effect. I mean I'm not a huge shopper, but it's so easy – to get stuff from Amazon, and it's so quick. And you don't have to – they've got all your information stored, and it's something that that is very, very difficult to try and, you know, pull together. But obviously these retailers are struggling. And certainly, I mean, perhaps uh, downtown Minneapolis has a unique situation, but it's a ghost town, Um, certainly in the Skyways, certainly some of these main stores, Macy's, the giant Macy's that has the history here, Uh, Dayton's, Marshall Fields, uh, this classic landmark building now sits empty, and they've actually kind of put up plaster walls to keep the skyways intact, but they're gone. You go down to uh, a few blocks down to what used to be um, uh, Gavaday, it's empty. Uh, What used to be the Saks is now a Walgreens, and a lot of the stores there are empty as well. And, you know, even if you go into a main mall, even the Mall of America, for goodness sakes, which is probably the best uh, mall that we have going here in terms of, of its success, obviously, I know Professor Brennan has always said that that's the number one mall, you can still see some empty spaces. And I do think we have Professor Brennan uh, back right now. Uh, Professor Brennan, we were just talking about Target, uh, and you were just starting to say that, that you feel it's not just Target.
1: No, there's, an overall, there's a structural changes going on in retailing as a whole. Uh, prior to the Great Recession, sales were increasing annually at 5% or more for all of retail. Now it's less than 4%. So uh, that's a roughly a 20% reduction in terms of retail sales. And harder, the hardest area hit other than gasoline has been general merchandise, which is what uh, Target and Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco, uh, and the dollar stores. And the department stores fit into them. And so when we start looking at that, uh, we've got a redistribution of sales, and they're a lot less than they were in the, in the past.
0: But, you know, Target has been tweaking and, and trying to change things. They're remodeling their stores, yet th- this, their sales continue to slip. I mean, are people just buying less, or are they just going to Amazon or, or no. online retailers? Well, uh,
1: first of all, they're buying less. Okay. Uh, instead of 5% increase, it's 4%. Uh, increase. And in general, merchandise sales, it's even been more. Last year, actual sales in general merchandise, which includes Target, actually declined, did not even grow. And if we take a look at those kind of figures, that that is really traumatic. And what it does is put increased pressure in terms of expense control, which means layoffs or doing things differently than they have been. But and this, that's essentially what's been happening.
0: But, but this is the best. So you're saying people are literally buying less.
1: That is correct.
0: Okay. Or is it that they have more options in terms of, you know, marketplaces? I mean, Amazon is, is almost its own marketplace. I mean, or or it's, you're saying it's literally that, that each person is buying a little less.
1: Uh, that is true. But as you just uh, pointed out, that's very true as far as amazon as an example and its uh impact on target if you look at target shoppers 75 percent of them also shopped uh amazon in the last 30 days that's a big that's a big number Uh, that's actually even bigger than in terms of how many people that shopped walmart or a walmart supercenter, and that was 47 percent so it gives you a pretty good idea that amazon is what it's what it names, stands out as, and that is it is an Amazon. But Walmart is a big player in this uh, game as well.
0: You know, one thing I thought that was so interesting, I saw that I believe it was in New York, uh, Amazon is starting to move into like sort of brick and mortar stores themselves. W- what do you think of that?
1: Well, I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, and I think what they've, there are uh, a couple of things. I think that they've progressively tried to do new things, and they are. They're always experimenting, and they haven't gone into it in a big way. So I think what they're trying to do is uh, to find out more about the bricks-and-mortar place and whether or not that's a place that they want to be, or do they want to use those as sampling places. They're also experimenting with technology in terms of those stores where you don't even have to check out. Uh, It will pick up whatever you have uh, purchased in the store. By way of radio identification tags, and that will translate back in terms of your Amazon account, and they will be charged to it.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's what's so easy is you've got this account set up, and and it's so quick. And I'm I'm an example of somebody who really hasn't used Amazon, I think, until this year, and it's just it's the convenience and also the speed at, at which they get the items to you is is amazing. On the flip side, I used to go to Target even more, and I, I feel you know. I feel, and I, I feel like a, a lot of the people that I work with I know used to go to Target and used to buy more clothing items. It it, it feels like it was just kind of a, a hipper place to shop, and, and the items just aren't as as cool as they used to be. And I know an awful lot of my friends who span you know, a wide array of ages uh, feel the same way.
1: Well, I think a number of things happened. First of all, there was Canada. And if you look at Canada, uh, which obviously did not work out. That was a huge distraction for them in terms of spending so much time and energy and money in terms of that. But then it was in terms of getting out of there, which was a $5.4 billion loss. And to kind of offset that loss, what they did is they uh, essentially sold off their pharmacy uh, unit. And,
0: to, and I got to tell you, uh, you know, I got to tell you the C V you know, I've been getting prescriptions there for a long time and and going to the Minute Clinic there. And, you know, I know these people are working really hard here, but the service at at the CVS version of Target is nothing. It it is vastly inferior in my own personal opinion. And what I have noticed, it takes longer. It's more complicated. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's not as good as it was under the old system. And I got to tell you, the Minute Clinic which I used to go to all the time in downtown Minneapolis where I'd bring my kids there for shots or whatever because so you could get in and out quickly. The last time I went there, they eliminated the person that was the receptionist. So it was one person both seeing patients and then checking them in. And it was over an hour and a half. I mean, I'll never go there again. Uh, it, it really was, in my opinion, a, a turnoff. I, I, and I've heard also from doctor's offices as well that this has not been very difficult, there have been problems there, you know, in terms of this transition and everything like that. I, I don't know what you have heard, but...
1: No, it's been widely reported in the press that uh, there are issues. But one of the major reasons for selling off the pharmacy deal was they got over $2 billion worth of and that half. That also helped underwrite the losses that they had in terms of Canada. Okay. They also looked at it as that wasn't a key differentiator like their clothing, uh, private-labeled clothing that they have. But they lost sales in terms of, you know, they lost uh, a couple billion dollars, well, it's more than a couple billion dollars in sales. Those are profitable sales. But the most important, I think, thing, it allowed in terms of loss of control that they normally have. And Target is a very control-oriented organization. And so that is out of their realm now, and it's very hard to fix those kind of things when you're dealing with an independent entity that's operating within your store. Right.
0: And I mean, it's just, it just means it's, you know, like for getting the shots or, you know, flu shots or whatever, I'm not going to go there, you know? So, and, and, you know, the days that I would bring my kids there, I'd buy something else, you know, it's just one less time I'm, I'm going to go in there. Um, I also think some of the merchandising is different. I know that like, for instance, in the downtown store, they took out the place where you could get like the little pizzas and they're putting in a liquor store. I um, I guess liquor sells, doesn't it? Uh, but you know, they, they are, are doing that, you know, a great deal. Is that something that you think is going to be a successful strategy?
1: Well, I think it'll, it'll produce some additional sales. And liquor tends to be more of a destination type of a purchase. So if they can drive traffic and their tra- store traffic has actually been declining, this may be an aid to help that. But... the number of stores that they have liquor in is really pretty small at this point in time.
0: Uh, Chatting with Professor David Brennan, he's a professor of marketing at St. Thomas, Um, one of the things that Target has tried to do, and and this has been in place now for a number of years, and I think the first one was actually in Dinkytown, was the sort of smaller little Target that was, you know, for a niche market. So obviously Dinkytown, you've got the U of M there. So if you go there, um, it's kind of food that, you know, college students would eat. There's a lot of um, inexpensive sheets and, uh, you know, books. It's just obviously, it's obviously when you walk in there, you think this is going to be a target. Not that you're going to see it some suburban area, but this is clearly a target targeted at, you know, young people who are students. Has that worked?
1: Well, it, I think it has worked out there. They also have a, another one uh, in St. Paul. And that is merchandise quite a bit different. Yes, uh, most of the stationary products and the like take, play second fiddle. I mean, it's it's mainly what you'd a smaller scale, but uh, what you'd see in a regular Target store. So the idea is localization, trying to customize that. Right. But that's that's fine if you have a handful of stores. But if you have hundreds and hundreds of these stores, that customization does a couple of things. Number one, it takes a lot of energy, and that also changes over time. And that becomes something that Target has done in the past with their uh, bigger stores, but it's going to take a lot more effort with smaller stores.
0: Um, We're chatting with Professor David Brennan. Uh, Professor, we'd like to to take a quick break, but I would like to ask you, you come out with a fascinating study every year Around Christmas time, about where Minnesotans are are shopping, and I'd like to ask you about that, and and also these malls that we see that are just virtually empty. What what you think is going to happen with those futures? So let's let's keep it right here. We'll take a quick break. More with Professor Brennan after this on News Radio eight three zero WCCO. It is 649 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy chatting with Professor David Brennan, who is a professor of marketing at St. Thomas. We were talking about the problems that Target has been having. Um, And actually, Professor, before we get to the issue of of our local malls, who seem to be definitely struggling, I do want to ask you, too, if somebody did call in and talk about that they go to Target and the product they want isn't on the shelf or else the the, the large size isn't on the shelf, that they just don't seem to be stocking very well – is that a function of fewer people coming in so they don't want to have, you know, excess merchandise? I mean, I think it's turning a lot of people off.
1: I, well, I think what they've done is they've reduced the number of stockkeeping units. Uh, so they may only have one or two sizes instead of three or four sizes. And typically what happens from a retailer standpoint, the velocity, that is, the inventory turnover is more rapid as you have fewer uh, stock-keeping units. And okay. uh, th- that may be good in terms of inventory management, but not so much for the uh, customers. Okay. And that may, ac- again, account for disappointed shoppers that uh, don't shop there as frequently or don't buy as much. We call that a market basket. Okay. Uh, and that has been dropping at Target as well.
0: Right. Um, and then, obviously, if you, if that happens enough, you're just not going to go there. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's the risk you run there. Um I want to ask you about our malls cuz you have been studying malls our local malls and where people are going shopping for, for years now you have a report that comes out uh, annually right around Christmas time you know I don't go to a lot of malls but but every time I've gone to a mall recently I've just been stunned by the number of empty spaces there
1: Yeah I think what's happening is there is a shakeout going on with uh, the regional malls If you take a look at the strongest ones, certainly the Mall of America is, Rosedale, um, uh, Ridgedale, and as far as uh, the Galleria, those are the top uh, shopping centers. They're growing, developing, and moving in their own ways by adding additional stores, including a Nordstrom in the case of uh, Ridgedale and in the case of... uh, um, uh, Rosedale we have in terms of on mar going in there and we see a retenanting going on both at uh, Mall of America but also in terms of the Galleria other malls are are having a harder and harder time and they're bringing in non traditional uh, types of uh, shops and services. And this is not all that atypical. If you went to Canada, you'd find paint stores, as an example, and you'd find insurance agencies. But that's a more of a scramble. Uh, that Those aren't the preferred uh, uh, tenants. But nonetheless, that's a, one way to survive. It's a tenant. <laughs> um, it's a tenant.
0: Well, well how about, um, let me ask you, uh, It's a little difficult to believe that that Minneapolis is going to host a Super Bowl in, what, eight months? And, I mean, downtown Minneapolis is a ghost town. First of all, it's a a messy ghost town because of the construction. But how, I mean, is that ever going to come back?
1: Well, if you look at it in terms of most of the people uh, don't do heavy-duty shopping uh, when they're at an event like that. They're more interested Mm -hmm. in entertainment and other types of uh, activities. But, but for the rest uh, of us down, who live here. <laughs> but but in terms of downtown, I think that's a serious issue. Uh, it's being hollowed out, and we'll see what happens with uh, Macy's flagship store, uh, formerly Dayton's, uh, downtown, whether or not the new uh, owners uh, can uh, do some redevelopment in there. But it's probably not going to be this, anything close to the scale that we've seen with uh, with Dayton's and now uh, Macy's.
0: Right. I mean, it just seems like, you know, store after store is either empty. I mean, the one that used to be a Saks uh, is is now a Walgreens. There is the Saks Outlet did reopen, but it's it's jarring, to say the it's, least.
1: It's pretty hard. I was in St. Louis earlier this year, and they have a famous bar, which is part of the May Company, which ultimately be, uh, Marshall Field was sold to, and that store <clears throat> has been vacant for four years already.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, so so it's not just it's not just us others are having this as well.
1: That is true. Okay.
0: So what do you see and it seems like this is all happening and maybe it was this year with the Macy's closing and then the JCPenneys and uh, it just seems like this is accelerating or is that just my imagination?
1: No, it's it's not your imagination and it's not just in terms of the general merchandise area, but I think, you know, you mentioned it early on in terms of uh, the Amazon effect. And I've got some numbers that will give you an idea in terms of how big that is. If we looked at total e-commerce sales from the Census Bureau, they were only $34 billion in 2000. Flash forward to 2016, this last year, it was $394 billion. Wow. And that was 8.2% of all retail sales. Now, the tipping point of this whole thing is that uh the e commerce sales increased by one full m- market share point, so I mean anything that 's going online obviously is not going to be in the stores and Amazon is leading that challenge, and their sales this last year was one hundred and thirty seven billion now some of that a significant amount of that is overseas, but nonetheless uh that 's taking sales directly away from bricks and mortar
0: well obviously it's it's a trend that is um you know, that, that is accelerating and something that I think is a lot of concern, especially, you know, Target employs so many people here. And I think when you look at those slipping sales, I think a lot of people are wondering how, how many cuts are going to come and, and what lies ahead for this company. Um, well, I
1: think a lot of it is in terms of uh, bricks and mortar are really trying to catch up with the online deal. Uh, you can see that in the quarterly numbers that Target had. They moved from uh, 3.5% of their sales were done online a year ago, and it was 4.3% this year. And that was a 23% increase in terms of uh, from a dollar sales standpoint. Okay. The main thrust of that is they're, they're very far behind, have to catch up, and the sales they make online are typically, uh, they don't make as much money on it. And so, you know, in terms of, uh doing shopping online and picking up at the store, uh, that, uh, it's okay. still out whether or not that's going to be effective and whether or not consumers are willing to do it. Well, Professor uh, David
0: Brennan, um, thank you so much. I do have to cut you off because we do have to go. We certainly appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care. All right, folks. Uh, a lot ahead still on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Coming up, Paul Coffey, familiar name, going to talk about the crisis with bees in Minnesota and across the country.